Do you own firearms? Did you know there's an easy way for you to let everyone around you quickly see whether your firearm is loaded or unloaded? Well, meet muzzlestick, barrel, and chamber flags. Muzzlestick, chamber, and barrel flags offer a quick way for anyone, whether they handle firearms or not, to quickly see the loaded or unloaded status of a firearm. And that could save lives. Are you one of the nearly 80% of firearms owners that keep a loaded gun out of the safe for personal protection, taking an extra safety precaution by using muzzle sticks, big, bright barrel and chamber flags will let everyone around your firearm know if it is loaded or unloaded. Muzzle stick does not recommend keeping a loaded firearm outside of a gun safe, but the reality is that some firearm owners do. Clearly marking a gun status communicates to others around that may or may not have firearm handling experience that it is something that they would not want to handle. Muzzle stick is not intended to replace the rules of firearm safety. However, their chamber and barrel flags give firearms rapid and clear identification, which could result in saved lives. It's time for you to do everything you can to be a safe and responsible firearms owners. Head over to muzzlestick.com. That's M-U-Z-L-S-T-I-K.com today to place your order. After all, we all only have but one life. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Victor Davis Hanson Show, The Traditionalist. We're recording on Friday, September 17th, 2021. I'm Jack Fowler, the host. I am the director of the Center for Civil Society at American Philanthropic. The namesake of this show, and that is Victor Davis Hanson. He is the Martin and Ely Anderson Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution and the Wayne and Marsha Buskey. Is it Buskey, Victor? Did yes. I, I, uh, did, yes, it is. But I've heard been, both. I've heard both. I've heard Buskey and Buskey, so I'm not sure. But, okay. Well, I apologize to the Buskies if they, if they prefer Buskey, and I've been saying it Busk all along. Uh, but uh, at Hillsdale, where you just uh, recently ended your uh, two-week annual gig of teaching uh, there, uh, we'll have more about your bio, Victor, later on in this uh, episode, I do, before we get into the first topic, which will be General Milley and his comments that he made today. Again, we're recording on September 17th. I uh, want to encourage our listeners to visit victorhanson.com. Uh, there is, as I've said before, a ton of original material there. You can still read some of the original material without being a, a subscriber, but it behooves you to, to subscribe to the premium service. Very affordable. Uh, Victor has this ongoing series right now on the Historian's Corner that's extremely worthwhile. Anyway, while you're at the website, go to the right-hand column, scroll down a little bit. You'll see the link for The Dying Citizen, How Progressive Elites, Tribalism, and Globalization Are Destroying the Idea of America. Big book, important book, out the first week of October, I believe October 5th, but order it on Amazon. It'll show up at your house, probably publication day. I know there are actual hard copies of the book 
printed and circulating around to folks who are planning to review it and uh, for other marketing purposes. Anyway, Victor, let's begin briefly uh, talking about General Milley and his comments today. But first, there's this important message. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. We're back with the Victor Davis Hanson show, The Traditionalist. I know, Victor, that and one of the other podcasts under the umbrella of the show, uh, that's The Culturalist, which you do with the great Sammy Wink, that you did discuss at length um, the um, allegations uh, made in the forthcoming book, The Apparel by Bob Woodward and Robert Costa, that had uh, claimed that General Milley was uh, discussing uh, calling up the the, the Chinese, Red China, to tell them, don't worry, uh, this Trump crazy guy uh, will warn you if, if you're attacked and other such things that smack of, of, of treason. So I don't want to we don't need to go over the same ground that you've discussed with uh, Sammy on on the culturalist. But, Victor, do you have any uh, quick thoughts today about the comments made today by General Milley, that uh, what he did was perfectly within his in his rights and the duties of his office, and maybe also um, some the comments that Joe Biden made earlier this week, I think two days ago, where he said he was totally in support of General Milley. That book by Costa or Woodward and Costa is called The Peril, and that's ironic because the peril wasn't Donald Trump; it was the U.S. military as embodied by General Milley, and when he says he's Perfectly when his rights, he's not. He's not telling the truth. Under the Act of 1947 and 1953 that was refined and focused and narrowed, and under Goldwater Nichols of 1986, that even narrowed the uh, latitude of the chairman of the Joint Chiefs and the Joint Chiefs in total, it's very clear. Chairman of the Joint Chiefs does not have operational command. He cannot get into a room of generals and tell them this is the procedure and you don't do something unless you contact me. He cannot do that. He cannot conduct foreign policy. He cannot call up a foreign military and on his own freelance and tell them that I, the embodiment of the U.S. military, will warn you if there is going to be. He can't do that. If he can do that, then we don't have a constitutional republic. He's had a coup. He can't do that. In fact, he should resign immediately if he's not court-martialed. That's in violation of three statutes. And that's we're not even getting into the Uniform Code of Military Justice, Article 88, and all that about disparaging the commander-in-chief. But he does not have the legal right. If Donald Trump wants to order a military operation, then he calls the Secretary of Defense and says, this is a, we want to get rid of Soleimani. The Secretary of Defense then says, I will contact the relevant people in the field. The Joint Chiefs at that point are not involved. All they're involved right. in is they go to Donald Trump and say earlier, if you want to take Soleimani out, it is our considered collective opinion that 
this is bad, this is good, this is both. You make the decision, but we have to advise you of the military ramifications, deterrence, strategic ramifications of that decision. At that point, their role is over with. And then he makes the decision based on their advice that he can take in part or not at all or in total. And then he issues the order and then the chain of command kicks in. The Joint Chiefs, General Milley, is not in the chain of command. And yet everything he said that he's done was in the chain of command in the sense of disrupting the chain of command. Mm -hmm. He said he got into a room of generals and told them what would be the procedure for nuclear weapons uh, protocol. That's his procedure. That's not anybody else's. He has no right to go tell a Chinese official that he has characterized the United States government as messy and there's a crisis and he will tell them uh, if we're going to attack. What he essentially did, Jack, is he told the Chinese government that we are, don't know what we're doing and it's chaos over here. And the Chinese, and that, that hurt us, that lowered our right. deterrence. And we know that because China has done nothing but probe our weaknesses vis-a-vis -vis Taiwan. And they have a feeling that we're not in control and that there are people in the U.S. military that are not following the laws of the U.S. military. And then finally, Jack, how did this all come to light? Is it because trailblazing investigative journalists Costa and Woodward uh, find out and they press Millie and they said, did you do this? No, it's Millie or they in a pleasant conversation wanted to give credit to the theme of the book, The Peril. Donald right. Trump. So Millie volunteered thinking, I'm going to be an iconic hero. Once people understand how I broke the law for a higher law as I saw it, they're going to lavish me with accolades. In fact, that's what's happening on the network news and MSNBC and what have you. So it's a black day in the history of civilian military right. relations. Do you remember, Victor, once upon a time, liberals made movies like uh, Seven Days in May that Burt Lancaster, a Kirk Douglas movie about a general usurping the president's powers or attempt to. And uh, now, yeah, the cheerleading for General Milley is from the uh, from the left media is uh, is kind of sickening, more than sickening. Um, Victor, let's talk about a few other issues. We'll stay on military matters. Uh, we'll talk about the U.S., U.K., Australia. Let's call it a pact to uh, push back against uh, China with with submarines. We're also going to talk about the border crisis uh, later in the podcast. The infamous gala gala at the Met in New York, where AOC famously wore um, tax the rich dress unmasked while everyone else was masked. And then uh, I, I'm going to ask you this about Nicki Minaj. You can you can punt if you don't want to. But I know you you were you were in studio the other day with Tucker Carlson on his show. And it was a big topic that day. And I think you might have some cultural thoughts on that. But let's go to Australia, where the United States, United Kingdom and Australia I created uh, some nuclear uh, submarine pact. It essentially means that the United States will technology will, will be used nuclear technology to build submarines for Australia. Um, this has upset the EU greatly because the French were going to build subs of some sort. But, um, you know, that internal. Um, well, that's not an internal. That is external. But anyway, I like your thoughts on is this a good thing that has happened? This pact, is it is it good? But are there consequences? That, to it with our relations with Europe? Well, 
it's a good thing and it's an ironic thing. And what I mean by that is that Australia is isolated. It's, it's analogous to its position in 1939-40 and early 41. In other words, it's a Western country with a continental uh, nation parameter, and it has a very small population. And it's right next to 1.4 billion people in terms of relative distance. And it's rich in every imaginable natural resource that China is very eager to leverage. And, so, and they are not able, because of their population, not their spirit or their competency, they're very competent, very spirited, as we've known through a number of wars we fought alongside the Aussies, but they don't have the, the material wherewithal to stand up to China. So if you're going to give them submarines, they have to be the best in the world. And France's France, submarines were not the best in the world. They need a nuclear-powered submarine that can go for weeks under the oceans with a, a ballistic missile capability for now conventional so that was a good idea but the irony is that the way that joe biden did it he didn't call macron apparently up and say you know let's console about this or maybe you can sell him one or two something this is what he accused they accused donald trump of doing right. joe biden um was supposed to be the adult in the room was going to be the healer and the result is that donald trump made them pay a hundred million dollars more in defense appropriations and they hated him for making them more militarily readily joe biden after the afghan disaster where he left eight thousand nato troops in the dark without any worry at all how they were going to get out or how their people were going to get out now doesn't consult and does that so it's highly ironic Victor, um, let's talk about the border. Uh, the, the border crisis is a crisis. It has been a crisis for months. It's clearly been off the, you know, well, other crises have knocked it off uh, the um, main news. But I, I think even though if there were other crises, the media, our liberal media in America would, would not be drawing attention to it. That said, um, this uh this week, there's some reports that you know, Haitians, thousands and thousands of Haitians are crossing the border uh, over the Rio Grande. Um, Cuba, remember, Cubans could not come. If Cubans during the, two months ago when there were, was, was, uh, there were protests in Cuba, we, we were not going to let Cubans in. But Haitians can come in and anyone else can come in right now over the southern border. Is it even a border anymore? But, Victor, just like you're, of course, by the way, at the same time, we are bringing in 60,000 Afghan uh, Afghanis to relocate into America. Many of them have not been vetted. Your thoughts, Victor, on the, what is, uh, as, as this crisis grows, your thoughts on it? And if you had any particular thoughts about Kamala Harris, who I thought was supposed to be um, in charge of this and and uh, and putting it, keeping it under control. I, I haven't seen a peep about her uh, on anything, and including the border crisis. So, yeah. your general thoughts, Victor? Let me formulate it, Jack, in a little different way. Let's say that you wanted to imagine a scenario in which the United States had no border and no control over who came, and it was an ungodly humanitarian and health and political, cultural, social, economic disaster. You couldn't do any worse than what we're doing. You couldn't imagine anything worse. We're gonna have two million people from all over the world crossing the Southern border without tests, without vaccinations at a time when Joe Biden is saying, if you work for a business of 100 employees, you're gonna to have to be vaccinated. 
or you're going to have to be tested every week, are federal employees and soldiers. The soldiers are, remember, escorting um, Afghan refugees 100,000 strong without vaccination. So think of that for a minute. You, American citizen soldier, you're going to have to get vaccinated, even if you have COVID. You, foreign national, about we know nothing about, we wouldn't want to impose on you and ask for a vaccination. This is insane. And then when you add to this equation, the idea that we don't know how to support these people, we're going to tax the social services. We're, uh, it's very mysterious how the distribution seems not to be proportionally represented sometimes. And it's sort of reminiscent of the new equity that they are invoking about the distribution of monoclonal antibodies, a very effective treatment for COVID. It doesn't seem to be based on medical uh, utility or the number of cases or the, you know, get the biggest bang for the buck. It seems to be political. This seems to be political. And I think at some point, I mean, look, if you look at those pictures, there's no outhouse, there's no facilities, there's no toilets, there's no showers. And why are these people coming? They're coming because Joe Biden and his administration opened the borders. Why did they open the borders? They opened the borders because they said to themselves, we have flipped California. It's no longer the state of Ronald Reagan, Pete Wilson, George Stratmajian. We have flipped New Mexico. We have flipped Colorado. We are flipped Nevada. We're about to ready flip Arizona. We flipped Georgia. And we want to flip as many states as we can. Our message does not appeal to 51% of the electorate. Therefore, we have to do one of two things. A, we have to change the demography and let in a million or two million people who are, A, dependent on government, uh, are ripe for what I would call the diversity argument that you are suffering from white, uh, the, the veins of white privilege, white supremacy. You have solidarity with other non-white people. And three, you're going to be dependent for a long, long time because you don't have a high school diploma. You don't have educational skills. You're going to be exploited. And we are here to give you cradle to grave social services. That's what they're doing. And do they care about the American poor? My hometown, looking out the window at it, do they think that when these people come up to a place like Selma, California, they're not going to impact dialysis for our poor? Or mm -hmm. emergency room at our hospital, or the schools that are trying so hard to have advanced placement and are now finally evolved beyond just bilingual education. They don't care about this because the people who are the architects of this policy, whether it's state or local or federal, for the most part, their children do not go to public schools that are going to be impacted. They don't live with people who are immigrants. They don't socialize with them. This is a top-down uh, let them eat cake attitude and that ground level disaster, then let the other people deal with. Let the border patrol people kind of deal with 10,000 people where there's no toilet facilities. Where there's no you have no idea who has COVID or who doesn't. You think that somebody comes across the border with 101 temperature and a cough is going to say, I raise my hand. I've got I think I've got COVID. Can you please? No, he's not going to say that. And so. Yeah. This is it's a disaster and it's malicious. Malicious is a good adjective. Right. And it's nihilistic. It's almost as if the left is saying to us, if you look at the way we got out of Afghanistan and you look at this paying people twenty one dollars an hour not to work. And if you look at the way that they shut down three million barrels of fossil fuel, oil and gas production, it's almost as if they said, you know what? 
I'm going to screw this thing up. I'm going to make it chaotic. I'm going to just destroy things. This is anarchy. This is nihilism. And then, you know what? Out of this, we're going to get social justice. We're going to get critical legal theory. We're going to get new monetary theory because we're going to destroy it and start with a year zero mentality. And that's what they're doing. Speaking of top down, it's hard to find a more top event than the annual uh, gala in New York at the Met Museum, this, the, this fashion show. And actually, you know, once upon a time, the late Pat Buckley, who was, was the, the wife of Bill Buckley, but a friend, nevertheless, she, she and some others. I think you, you may know um, some folks who, uh, whose uh, spouses uh, once ruled the roost in that kind of fashion world in New York. Well, it's, it's not that way anymore. It's become, this is a tremendously political event. And what filled the airwaves uh, earlier this week was AOC attending that event. Uh, draped in some tax, the rich uh, dress, uh, everyone, all the, the uh, elites, uh, and they were elites, just ask them, um, unmasked and enjoying themselves, surrounded by people with masks. And uh, so there was a lot going on there for commentary. Do you have any thoughts about that, uh, that event? If anybody thought that the Democratic Party was not the party of the very wealthy, then all they had to do was go to the Obama gala a few weeks ago or this Met uh, Vanity Fair thing. And they can see what it's, the Democratic Party and the left is all about. It's a medieval idea that there are certain celebrities, certain politicians, corporate people, Silicon Valley people, Hollywood people, professional athletes. And they're very wealthy and they are entitled to certain exemptions from their own ideological positions. And one of them is they don't have to wear a mask. Obama didn't wear a mask. Did you notice when we got pictures uh, of the Obama gala that all the servant class had masks on, but not Obama? And the same thing with AOC. All the servants had masks on. It's not easy to wear a mask. I had to go on a long trip and I was in 20 hours waiting in airports, planes, uh, circling around diversions. You wear a mask for 20 hours, sense of well-being is disorientating. And yet we don't even care about the serving class. They're just supposed to do it. And this is from people who have lectured us ad nauseum that they are the voice of the working class. They're not. The Democratic Party is a small elite, bicoastal mostly, who are wealthy and feel they should be privileged or kids should be in prep school. They should hang out with one another they're celebrity starved, and then it's a vast underclass that's subsidized by the federal government, and it's at war with the lower and middle and upper middle class. That's what it is. Somewhere around 60 AD, uh, a Roman noble, Petronius Arbiter, wrote a novel called The Satyricon, and we don't have much of it. We have about the fragments, 15th and 16th books and other places, but the theme is Tromalchio's Banquet. And he describes what Rome in the first century has become. And boy, when you look at the emphasis on food and fashion and name dropping and money and the servant class, it's that we saw at the Obama gala or this one for the Met. It's no different than what uh, Petronius was describing in the satiricon. Victor, before we take on that last item about culture and the, and the great Nicki Minaj, I, uh, throwing a curveball here at this point in his presidency right now, Joe Biden, 
I'm looking at a headline of a place I used to work. <laughs> it's called the a flailing president. Do you see him as uh, flailing, or more importantly, do you think he sees himself as flailing? And give him give him give him the ability to be compass mentis. I think he doesn't know where he is. Sometimes he seems to be. I don't know if it's a side effect of the heart uh, medication that he's he's got a chronic cough. He can't finish the sentence without coughing. And he gets angry if you cross him. And like many people who have been cognitive challenged, you can't discuss things with him. He just lies. He just says, oh, there's nothing wrong with Afghanistan. Oh, there's oh. And you can't, he doesn't want any discussion at all because he can't discuss it. He can't explain. And he keeps giving these very strange um, revelation of prompts. Uh, they won't let me ask questions. I'm not supposed to do this. It's time for me to go, they told me. And so it, he's not in control. And so who is in control? Nobody's in control. Sometimes I feel that the Obamas are, are in control. Sometimes I think it's the Kamala Harris people. Sometimes I think it's Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders. Sometimes I think it's the, the uh, tribalism in the Congress and the Senate. But it's there's no chaos. I mean, there's nothing but, excuse me, there's nothing right. but chaos. I mean, economic policy, we're headed for 7 or 8% annualized inflation. When we have, we've never had 7 or 8% annualized inflation when you take a 25-year, 30-year-old mortgage at 2.7%. Right. You think that all these people with money are going to start giving money to banks and saying, you know what? Uh, I really want that 2.5%, 2.7, whatever the bank skims off, but 2.5% on my money. That's just a great deal why it's it's losing 8% of its value every year. They're not going to do that. And the Federal Reserve knows they're not going to do that, and they're going to raise interest rates. And then you think these people want to pay 20 30 40% more on a house than just a year ago when they know that they cannot get a 2.7% loan? And you go up 5% or 6%, you're going to double the monthly payment. And all of a sudden, these enormously inflated prices are not going to be competitive because the interest rate won't subsidize them anymore. So I think we're, it's really scary, but there's no cognition. There's no recognition. There's no assessment of where, where we're headed to a yeah. stagflationary economy or the complete. I, I just watched this long press conference with General McKenzie, and it was just it was tragic. We killed these people and they would not admit it for two weeks. Twelve these innocent people in Afghanistan, Jack. And right. then he said, well, we've had success. This was not a success. This was a non-success. Non-success? Is that what you call killing 12 people? Right. Why didn't you, why didn't you tell us about it? He said, well, this should not, this, we, the enemy won't think that we're, we're any less ready to strike. Yes, they will. They know that if American people will not put up with killing 12 civilians and the next time that the military tries to have a quote unquote over the horizon strike, they're going to be very careful. And then he says, well, we don't think the Taliban gave us the information. It doesn't matter what you think. They're in control of the government. They're in control of the country. And if you say you have 60 vectors, I don't know what that means, but he says he has 60 vectors then that means maybe some of them are getting genuine information from the Taliban. They don't know it's from the Taliban. The point is we don't know. Yeah. And when he says, well, this was a one-time thing because we had people on the ground. Now we don't have people we don't. on the ground. Right. We do have people on the ground. We have people over 100 of them. Hostages. Right. It's worse. They're hostages. So yeah. we're going to start seeing 
videos of people being executed, mostly Afghans, but maybe not all. And at some key point, Al-Qaeda or ISIS is going to take over certain areas, and then they're going to start doing that to Americans. And then what are we going to do? We're going to we're going to be in, in bad straits. And this is all at a time when you and I just discussed Millie. So we're losing deterrence. Right. Tactics. But over but over the over the horizon is presented as a as a reasonable national security policy. I, I, I had never heard of it before. Uh, maybe I don't it was like just... this euphemism, but I don't like when you kill people, you call it a non-success. I don't right. like it when you don't know where you're getting the information. You call it an intelligence vector. I don't like it when you you have no ability to be on the ground. You have no bases. You have no uh, immediate access to tactical operations, but from remote locations. And you you euphemize that and call that over the horizon as if it's a legitimate or even a superior methodology. It's not. Over the horizon means we're blank. Right. Right. That's what it means. Right. Yeah, starts with an F, but that's. I know it. that I. Got it. It's not. It's not fire truck. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, Victor, the last topic on today's episode of the Traditionalist is Nicki Minaj. Now, I I can't believe we'd ever be. My wildest dreams would have thought we would be talking about Nicki Minaj on uh, the Victor Davis Hanson show. But let's because I th- I think what happened earlier this week was a telling thing. Uh, she um, tweeted some. She has a huge following on Twitter or Instagram. Millions, millions and millions of people follow her. Um reported about the, 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 the vaccine and a cousin's friend of a cousin, some some kind of uh, uh, testicular uh, bad reaction to this cousin who lived uh, somewhere in the, the Bahamas, somewhere Trinidad. Anyway, she was immediately attacked. You know, how could you be this whole thing about misinforming this? This like it's the sacredness, this religious doctrine. Now you are misinforming. And she she unlike, say, We've seen these cowering episodes, not necessarily in vaccine stuff, but uh, remember with the oh, I can't think of his name, the the quarterback for the for the New Orleans Saints, uh, who last year immediately went, uh, he, he he just started groveling. But she was not a groveler. She's like, screw you, and she she attacked. This is Joy Reid at, at MSNBC attacked her and has kept up her her uh, attack on the. Um, Attack on the attackers. Anyway, I think it's a, a, an interesting cultural uh, happenstance. Do you have any thoughts about it? Yeah, I mean, you were vaccinated. I was vaccinated because we thought that the risk of side effects in the vaccination were less than the risk of COVID. And we were told that, you you know, remember how this thing was sold to us. Don't worry about the other person. Do not worry about it. You get vaccinated, you're 96% protected. You can be in a room with COVID people. It's not going to hurt you. And this whole change in atmosphere and landscape and ideology came when the vaccines were shown, at least in the case of the Delta variant or over across time and space, not to be as effective as advertised. There were so-called breakthrough cases. And this came at a time when we had increasingly a loss of confidence in our medical authorities. And we did so because, you know, masks, ah, masks don't matter. Oh, got to get a mask, got to get two masks or quarantine, got to, you know, stop this curve. Uh, No, you know what? Uh, We're going to keep going for a little while. Oh, you know what? If you're a BLM demonstrator, 
then it's more dangerous to your mental health not to break the quarantine. So that's okay. And, you know, gain of function. No, no. Yes, maybe kind of. Wuhan uh, elaborate can't be no connection with the pangolin or a bat. Oh, maybe it is. So there's been so much misinformation coupled with a, a self-righteous exactitude that we are experts. And that's one element. And she is saying to us, I may basically the subtext is I may not know what I'm doing, but I'm a citizen. I'm a unique individual. I have a right to have an idea. And until you can give me exactitude, then you've lost credibility. And that's true. They have. And the second thing, the message, as I understand it, because I don't know a lot about her, but her, glad to hear she, that. <laughs> she's saying to a particular group of people, elite professional classes that get in everybody's business. Right. Many of them are the white bicoastal elite, the left-wing progressives, the minority, professional minority class. But she's saying to them, I don't care what you think. I don't care if you call me names. I'm going to call you worse names. And she's retaliatory. She did. And they're they're thinking, "Uh uh-oh, I have a a black woman and I can't shame her like I do black conservatives that she she doesn't appreciate all the things I've done for her as a white progressive. And this woman's talking back to me. "Uh Uh-oh, I don't like this. And that's what it's about. And she knows that. And so she's basically telling the white progressives, and the white professional minority club don't do me any favors. This is all aside from the medical question right. of whether we should all be vaxxed or not. But the problem that our authorities have is they can't tell us if we all got vaxxed, if everybody was vaxxed. They, they keep suggesting that there'll be zero COVID. And then they say, well, new variant, epsilon, gamma, you know, or delta, right. what, who knows? So they don't have exactitude. They don't have knowledge. Science is not perfect, and they act as if it is. And then these self-appointed censors go around and get in everybody's business. And, you know, I'm speaking kind of passionately because I just got back from Hillsdale College. Mm-hmm. 15 days, no mask, no social distancing. Uh, they encourage everybody to get back. All the faculty have been va- vaccinated and vaccinated very early. They encourage the students, but there's no... Stanford University policy, you have to be tested every week. You've got to download your vaccination. You know, you're going to trace your cell phone pings, none of that. And nobody, I mean, there's people who get ill, they get COVID, they get tested. If they're positive, they go into quarantine. Uh, But there's no epidemic there, at least yet. And life goes on. So what do I'm saying? I'm saying the university is functional. And these other universities are dysfunctional. So you have a choice. Everybody has a choice. They're going to say, you know what? Am I a tragic person or am I therapeutic? Therapeutic means I want everything perfect. I can control nature. I can control uh, the environment. I can control everything or else. Or the tragic person says, I'm going to do my best, but I'm going to do some so with courage and I'm going to do some so with self-doubt and know that it's not perfect, but I'm going to do my best. I'm going to try to make this country continue to function. Because there's something that we're missing, Jack, in this whole conversation. And that is, if you go to a hospital and there's not a nurse there, or you go to a store and there's not baby formula there, or you get on an airplane and that guy tells you that they're short, they had to wait four hours because they're short attendance. Or they're going to make a sudden diversion because they have no fuel. That's happened to me, I think, three times in the last three weeks. Then that, 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 that's important. 
And right. it's, it's not a it's not a zero sum game where we're all going to get vaccinated or we're all not or we're all going to conquer. No, it's cost of benefit analysis. If right. you shut down the economy again, people are going to die, and people are dying right now because they didn't get that PSA exam, they didn't get that breast exam, they didn't get that so-called optional surgery, they didn't get to see their parents uh, in the rest home. All of those are cost, and they these people, these quote-unquote Karens never factor in that cost. Right. And layer on top of that, pay people not to work. It's just a, a prescription for, for a screwed up country. Victor, but that's about all the time we have. But as is our new, relatively new custom, we do want to thank the folks, the listeners who, uh, all listeners, thank you, but those who listen on iTunes and leave uh, five-star reviews, um, which is what your average is. There are a few, but they're, they're about 1,600 review uh, people who have left uh, uh, ratings and it averages out to 5.0 because everything else is kind of anecdotal. So that's pretty sterling. And those five stars, of course, are for, uh, for uh, Victor. I want to just read one of the, some people actually leave written reviews. And one of them that came in the other day was from an, someone named Jack calls himself Jack mule. Um, wow. And this is what he wrote. Uh, be, been a listener for a little over a year when a family member introduced me to VDH. I eagerly look forward to every episode, but the latest, The Culturalist, that's with the great Sammy Wink, folks, is one of my favorites. Thank you, VDH, for continuing to provide us with knowledge and opportunities to expand our minds and learning. I hope uh, that although Classics is seemingly on the collegiate crash cart, I hope and pray that it can be revived in the near future by our by unknown as of yet researchers and academics. God bless you, BDH. Keep it up. Thank you. Five stars, as always. Thank you, uh, Jack Mule, and thanks to the others who leave reviews. We do read them. Uh, we care what you think. And uh, I guess that's about it, other than to say we will we'll be back with another uh, episode Almost. of the, the traditionalists in a few days, right? Almost. There is okay. such a thing called the dying citizen that lays out the historical background uh, of what we're talking about. And that's the new book on October 5th. I'm right. Right. Himself. Well, you did. I, I did plug it earlier, but I'll, I'll remind the people no, to, I'm to, try, to, I'm trying to. I'm trying to save you from being having to plug it too much well let me do it one more time though <laughs> go to victorhanson.com listeners great listeners subscribe to victorhanson.com when when you're on the website whether you're subscribed or not look on the, the right hand column click the link and order today at amazon the dying citizen you'll get it um the first week of october so that's the, all the time we have. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Victor, for sharing your wisdom. And we'll be back soon enough again with another episode of The Traditionalist, part of the three uh, podcasts of The Victor Davis Hanson Show. Thank you. Thank you. And thank everybody for listening. I really appreciate it. I do. Thank you.